Welcome to Rooted in Revelation, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation in all of life. My name is Nick. I have Nate with us as usual. Hey, guys. And we have have a very special guest with us this evening, John McDonald. How are you doing, John? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. We are very glad to have you. Um, For those of you that don't know John, what we typically like to do is just uh, give a brief introduction for you. So if you would just give us a brief, you know, the short version of your testimony and um, kind of what God is currently doing in your life, that'd be a good place to get started. Sure. Well, um, I've been involved in ministry since 1996. Um, went to Bellhaven College and then um, where I got my uh, Bachelor of uh, Arts and Biblical Studies. Uh, from there, uh, Whitfield Theological Seminary uh, for my master's, which was, uh, I think, providential in a way, uh, because, uh, as you know, Whitfield is uh, an online seminary, or at least distance at that time, and so that was, uh, I think, instrumental uh, in terms of uh, my own background and preparation for what I'm doing now, um, but uh, I'm an old retired youth pastor. Uh, and uh, serve churches in uh, Florida and Mississippi, uh, have a uh, kind of a rich Presbyterian history, I guess you could say, uh, direct descendant of uh, Presbyterian, Scottish Presbyterian church planters. Uh, my home church was uh, one of the churches they planted uh, after uh, coming uh, from Scotland to America. And uh, that was where I, I, I began my ministry there. Uh, a long time ago in 1996 and uh, still a member there and uh, so it's uh, just been a great blessing to be a part of that church and its history and to um, you know look to the future um, having that foundation so praise god that's awesome so uh, you were a, pa- a youth pastor before you said, uh, what brought you from being uh, in youth ministry, pastoral ministry, to being the president of the Log College and Seminary? <laughs> well, I did um, uh, my master's work in counseling. So I was working at a church uh, and, and basically directing their counseling ministry and um, in New Thetic Counseling. And uh, that was in Orlando. And uh, I just felt that I needed to be closer to home. Uh, only child, father's uh, kind of getting older, uh, family business. And, and uh, several things uh, kind of came together to line up to, for me to move uh, closer to home. And so when I did, you know, I was like, wow, you know, what do I do now? You know, this guy going to use me? How is he going to use me? And um, so I got involved with uh, TNRS, the North American Reform Seminary. And as a student, uh, I was working on my doctorate. And um, next thing I know, um, they're like, hey, you know, we need some, some administrative help. Um, you know, would you be willing to serve as our registrar? And I said, of course, I would, I would love to. And, and uh, so I began to uh, serve as registrar. And, and at the same time, God was opening doors for me to uh, preach at several of the local churches who were in between pastors and just needed pulpit supply. So, you know, I, I was kind of, you know, I was like, well, how is God going to use me? 
Uh, and I mean, within a month of, of, of the move, I'm, I'm like preaching at a church and I'm, I'm, I'm working with uh, the seminary. Um, and as time went on, I, I basically uh, became part of the oversight board of the seminary and served there for several years, working as uh, the registrar also. And uh, then the day came when uh, they offered me the position of the director of the seminary, which I, I did take. And uh, so, you know, God always uh, is in control. And even when we think, hey, you know, I'm done, uh, it's over for me, you know, the last chapter, not necessarily the case. Uh, I had no idea how God was going to use me. He did. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. Awesome. So before we jump into anything else, um, for anybody unfamiliar with the Log College and Seminary, previously TNARS, what uh, what would you say are some of the biggest benefits that the Log College and Seminary has to offer compared to other theological institutions? And would you say there's anything students would gain at a school like RTS that they wouldn't get from the log? For And for those uh, of you that don't know me or haven't heard me talk about this, from here on out, I will refer to the Log College and Seminary as the log, so. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. Um, you know, the way we like to kind of sum it up is we're completely free, completely online and completely reformed. And uh, the fact that we're completely online is, of course, um, uh, open so many doors because it gives us a, a truly, uh, you know, a global access. Uh, students can have maximum flexibility in terms of, of studying with us. They can study anytime, anywhere, as long as they have an internet connection. Um, completely self-paced, of course, your mentor. Uh, we are mentor-based, and your mentor may have a little bit to say about, you know, your uh, your progress and 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 um, may lovingly prod you along uh, in in your studies, but uh, being completely online is you know something of course that um, has to do with the technological advancements <laughs> of, of, the, of, the, of the last you know, you know twenty years or so. Uh, we couldn't do this without without the level of technology that we have and and uh but it is great it's a wonderful thing um completely free um one of the things that that we're able to do because of of our online platform is to operate a seminary at very little operating cost and so uh, we can offer this program completely free and that's so huge because, you know, you have so many pastors who are, they're pursuing God's call and they go to a traditional seminary, brick and mortar, and they're, you know, looking at $50,000, $80,000, you know, and this is after, of course, they're, you know, uh, undergraduate and, and they may already have costs involved there too. And so they get out of seminary, they have this huge debt and um, they're trying to pursue God's call, but they are now, uh, could we say hindered, so to speak, with a certain amount of financial obligation that is an obstacle, and uh, and we just don't want that, and it shouldn't be that way. Um, so we have uh, purposely um, designed a seminary so that there are absolutely no costs involved. Uh, even the textbooks are provided 
Um, so the only cost you have is, is, is time and hard work and, and that's the way ministry preparation should be. I love that so much. Um, I'm uh, I am currently enrolled as a student at the log and I have been very blessed by, by my time doing coursework. I think one of the best things I've experienced about it is the fact that you get, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny when I first showed the course to my pastor, who was my first mentor, um, and we switch churches. So I'm in the process of switching mentors uh, for, for context. But uh, when I showed the program to him and, and he's a guy who has a master's, uh, he looked at it and he said, this associate's degree looks more like a bachelor's degree than an associate's degree than what I'm used to, you know, and, and I've heard that response from a few other uh, guys who have gone to seminary. Would you say that whenever you hear free seminary, you know, people kind of balk and they're like, Oh, free seminary. Cause I've encouraged other people to check, to check out the log because it is such a wonderful program. It has so many benefits for guys like me. I have four kids. I work, you know, 50 hours a week, maybe more, maybe a little less. Um, I serve in my local church, you know, I, I, we, we do a podcast. We have a very busy life and I don't have, money to throw around. So the log really is a huge blessing to a guy like me who has aspirations to not only just know God better to serve my own family and my own church and to, to be a better image bearer and to, to be in communion with my God more deeply. But also if the Lord ever calls me into ministry later in life, I will be so much better equipped for that work. So it's a huge blessing. It's wonderful. Um, would you say that there's anything, cause you've attended a college where you were your, I think you said your undergrad was like a brick and mortar where you were there. Correct. That's correct. Would you say that there's anything that a student like uh, would get in, in a seminary like that as opposed to one that is online, like in this context? You know, um, as far as the education academics, I don't think there's going to be uh, any advantage. Um, the only, you know, advantage would be your um, your peers uh, being able to uh, socialize with the students. Although we have also tried to uh, uh, basically um, address that through uh, uh, a virtual program where uh, it's kind of like Facebook for our seminary in a way, but uh, students can come on and 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 join that, and they can the course, um, talk and, and discuss uh, the, the program, their studies, um, you know, we can pray for one another. So, um, you know, if, if you have a little bit of imagination where you can you can switch to a virtual uh, mode, so to speak, uh, I think we can uh, basically uh, address any and every uh, issue that could be brought up in terms of brick and mortar versus online. But uh, I really don't think there is, uh, you know, an advantage in brick and mortar. I don't want to critique brick and mortar institutions. Uh, we have some very fine institutions. And, um, you know, to be honest, uh, online seminary is not for everybody. I guess I, guess I should uh, take that back. I guess there's, there's probably maybe one uh, advantage to going to a brick and mortar, uh, and that is that the... Uh, you know, your professors are going to keep you on schedule, you know, whether you like it or not. And uh, 
with our online seminary and, and, and some online seminaries are, are, are like that too. They have schedules and, and we don't because we, uh, we trust the mentors to keep you on track. We, we trust you, uh, you know, to uh, initiate those studies and, and uh, to love what you're doing uh, so that you want to come on the study and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're enjoying it. Um, but, uh, you know, online seminary, especially uh, like this, where it's self-paced, is not for everybody because uh, not everybody's at the same point in terms of their, of their own uh, self-discipline. Um, we have seen that uh, with some students where they're, they're like, hey, you know, got into this and thought it was going to be, you know, what I needed to do and it's going to work well for me. And, you know, it took me six months to complete my first course or whatever or a year. And it was just way too open and uh, just did not work well for them. And, and it's not for everybody, but, but uh, I think to many, it, it is an absolute blessing and it works well uh, for, uh, for a great many people. Yeah, that's really awesome. And to be honest with you, the way that I describe at least the associates program, and and I mean this in the best way possible, you know, my pastor is my mentor and I just kind of viewed it as guided discipleship. Like he was keeping me accountable for being in the scripture and, and doing the work that was, you know, assigned to me. And we were talking about it and, you know, I was growing and really like, that was our relationship before this, except now I was working toward an associates. So, you know, it it was a wonderful blessing. And, you know, even if there's anybody listening to this who, you know, you don't think you ever want to go into full-time pastoral ministry or anything, don't think that this isn't for you. Because if you have a discipleship relationship with, with an older man in the faith, like, or or whoever, um, you know, that might be this program could just be like a pre-existing template for your discipleship. If you wanted something guided with a mentor sure. who met the qualification of the school, you know, and, and you're also working toward a degree program or toward the uh, getting your associates or whatever program you're in. So it, it's a wonderful opportunity. And, and again, I have nothing but good things to say about the log. Um, so what, uh, what are some of the, the um, distinctives about the log, I, we kind of already reviewed it. You know, you have a mentor, it's, it's a free institution and uh, you kind of go at your own pace. Are there a few other things that make it distinctive from other theological um, education institutions? Sure. You know, like the, like the original law college, we are mentor based. We follow the old pastoral apprenticeship model. Uh, which is the model that was was followed um, up until about uh, the early 1800s, uh, I think, uh, and over 1807, uh, early 1800s, I know, uh, Princeton, uh, 1812, I believe. But uh, before then, before your brick and mortar seminary model, basically education, uh, ministerial education was you went to college, got your undergraduate, and then you studied under a pastor for several years, uh, usually around three years or so. You studied under that pastor um, and prepared for uh, ministerial examination with uh, presbytery uh, or whatever uh, governing you know body that your denomination might have. But that was the model. 
Uh, and that's the way that, you know, the Puritans were uh, prepared for ministry. And, uh, you know, uh, so the law college, of course, uh, William Tennant was there. He, he started the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the college and, and it was also similar at the same time, you see, because uh, not only was he providing an undergraduate degree, but he was also uh, you know, mentoring these students and teaching them uh, or mentoring in, in them in their theological studies as well in preparation for uh, license, licensure and ordination with, with uh, the presbytery. So, um, but we follow that approach. Uh, we believe that uh, when you look at the New Testament, the uh, model or, or paradigm for ministerial preparation is basically pastors, disciple, future pastors. And that's what we see Second uh, Timothy uh, 2. Uh, two uh, and the things that you've heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that's our theme verse that's on the seal of, of the seminary. Um, that is the New Testament paradigm for ministerial preparation. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't uh, gather a group of pastors who serve as professors and, and have a brick and mortar institution. Uh, again, I'm not trying to critique that at all, but uh, when we do that, there are costs involved because we have to pay for the buildings, we have to pay for the professors uh, and it starts to get uh, uh, really costly. And, and uh, so, but again, when you, when you look at the that New Testament paradigm, you know, with a pastor who is one-on-one -on -one with, uh, uh, with a student, uh, a ministerial candidate, um, you know, basically we can uh, overcome all these obstacles of finance, uh, everything else. And uh, I think that's the wisdom that we see in God's word there in terms of ministerial preparation. So, Absolutely. I, I love how the academic guide puts it. Uh, LCS, which stands for Log College and Seminary, desires theological education to be restored to its rightful place, the local church. Ministry preparation is, after all, a part of the church's discipleship task. LCS seeks to serve the local church by providing an academic platform pastors could use in the training of their members for ministry and in the training of men called to the work of the gospel ministry. Our vision is to help prepare a new generation of reformed pastors who are passionate for the glory of God, the proclamation of the gospel, and the equipping of the saints for ministry. There are some other quotes in there that are really great about some of the other distinctives you've talked about as well, but I thought that one kind of summarized the uh, the focus into the local church. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we're, we're not trying to take the place of local church. We're just trying to uh, serve as an educational resource for pastors, for the local church, uh, we, you know, we're, we're basically presenting the academic platform that pastors can use to train their people uh, uh, and not even necessarily to train uh, uh, pastors, but just to train um, their members in, in, in the word. And so, um, you know, we, we are very strong on the place of the local church in the life of the believer, 100%. Uh, for that in our in all of our coursework of course you'll, you'll see that uh, we push and place an emphasis on the ministry of the local church um we've lost that in <laughs> in, in current uh, evangelical christianity um you know we've lost a place of discipleship and 
you know, um, uh, it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, we, you know, being mental based, we have a lot of applicants and they're coming in and they're saying, hey, you know, we can't find a, a mentor. You know, our pastor is too busy. And, um, and that breaks my heart because I'm like, well, you know, isn't the job of the pastor to disciple? And why would he not want to take advantage of this program? Uh, and don't be wrong. I know, I know that uh, our pastors are, are way overworked. I mean, they're they're you know just struggling to keep their head uh, above water many times. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we can't lose sight of uh, what the job of the pastor is, and, and uh, it's not just to preach, uh, but it's it's to disciple and. Uh, you know, I think it's a shame that, you know, pastors feel like they're too busy to be able to do that task, which is what the scripture calls them to do. Yes. Uh, one of the... Well, let's try that again. I'm getting feedback from someone. All right. I think we're good now. Um, one of the things I still appreciated as I am transitioning from mentor to mentor uh, with, a, with our change of local church um, is that my new mentor just, um, he was familiar with the law college and seminary. I think he was, is, or was considering a doctoral program uh, through the log. And, um, you know, our pastor is a wonderful man who serves God and serves the church and, you know, he, he's not afraid to uh, smell like sheep as Jim Neuheiser puts it, I think, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> and um, I, I appreciate it so much when I asked, so when I asked him if he, you know, could knew of anybody that could be my mentor or if it could be him, you know, he, he was a little bit hesitant just because he said, I, I want to make sure that I could do a good job for you, but I have all these other responsibilities. And, um, sure. you know, we eventually prayed through it, talked about it. And, uh, you know, we, you know, came to, a, you know, what we believe is the best option and, and we're are moving forward. So uh, it, it was such a blessing, but yeah, like you're saying, it's, you know, it's part of the pastoral duty for, for that discipleship, for that training up of men. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's such a great blessing when you're in a church where, the pastor has the the resources and the ability to do it because, you know, if there were like five guys in my church who were in the degree, degree program, I imagine that would be rather difficult on top of all of his sure. normative, uh, you know, pastoral responsibilities. But um, it, it's just a, it's, it's a huge blessing to have that kind of support. And uh, yeah, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, Nate, we've been talking for a little while here. Uh, do you have any uh, questions you want to ask or anything, any input? Uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> maybe not a question just yet, but I mean, I'm just, I'm nodding and smiling because I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal what you're doing, John. And I mean, I'm just grateful for it. I'm not in the program, but I've considered it. Maybe I'll consider it in the future, but I, I just think it's so wonderful. Um, your uniqueness, I, I, I see as a, a very strong biblical uh concern of what you guys are doing and and you know yeah like you're saying it's no bashing at all on on you know seminaries like southern or rts or westminster or something like that but it, it just it, i i just find it so helpful for people that you know can't necessarily afford that 
necessarily be able to do that in their current circumstances that God has them. But I, I just find it so, so encouraging to hear that there's opportunities for people like you guys, the listeners, yeah. that you, you have a chance to get this kind of training and, and do it within the local church, which I think is just so huge. I think, I think 21st century evangelicalism is just lost its uh, it's awareness and deep conviction of how important the local church is. And I think what Absolutely. you're doing and how you're working all this, this stuff out for people like that, I think is incredible. I mean, I think of not only getting educated, you're growing close to your pastor, you're, you're growing spiritually, you're growing in the great, uh, you're, you're growing in grace um, under being shepherded and discipled in order to do the same thing down the road for more people. Um, more just you know and i just love but, sure and, and, yeah. and the, you know the, the local church context you know it provides so many opportunities for uh testing your uh gifts and and ministry skills and developing those uh which is one thing you don't see uh uh in in the tr traditional brick and mortar seminary you see attempts at it of course and and they're doing the best they can to to give students opportunities but uh but in that local church context uh you know, the, the student can really, really uh, uh, test out his gifts and, and really uh, serve the church. And, and so the local church is blessed and the student is blessed at the same time. Um, you know, and, and, and going back to kind of, you know, what you were saying earlier about, you know, how, how the school kind of uh, uh, fits the time, so to speak, you know, and I, in 21st evangelical in 21st century evangelical Christianity if we look at the trends from, from a human perspective I think we're going to see um, uh, the traditional brick and mortar seminary struggle uh, you know I think we're going to see a decline in, uh, in a number of students and um, uh, there, there will be financial woes and those kinds of things and uh, we're going to see more and more uh, online education. Uh, we already see it. I mean, with with uh, dare I say it, with COVID, uh, we we you know there was a this huge rush to distance education, and and it's like oh yeah, it works. Well, we've known that for a long time, uh, and uh, you know it hasn't been such a, a big secret to us. Uh, but you know now the. Uh, the college, the seminary, uh, they have to acknowledge the um, advantages of online studies. And uh, most of them have, of course, uh, developed their own online programs. And, and, and Injustice were doing it before COVID, but they were accelerated for sure uh, with, with that. And, uh, and so there's no denying that it can be done and uh, can be used in this way. Uh, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, more and more, especially the American church, uh, smaller churches are already struggling uh, and they're struggling to, to uh, have a pastor and to be able to support that pastor. With our model, we can have a guy come in who uh, has much more financial flexibility and uh, can come in and serve a small church uh, and, and, and just really not be hindered by that financial debt and not even have to be concerned about that financial uh, aspect. Uh, I think in the, in, in, the, in the future, we're gonna see a lot more uh, bivocational pastors. And um, so our model 
uh, fits right in with with the situation that we see uh, in, the, in American Christianity anyway. Uh, of course, we hope and pray for a great revival. Uh, and uh, of course, we know uh, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, who can bring this about. And uh, which was, of course, one of the great things about the original law college was their emphasis on uh, the power uh, of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying power of the Spirit. Um, look at the great revivals of the past is uh, certainly uh, not past God to do this. We have to pray it down, of course, uh, and prepare for that. But uh, but just from a human perspective, um, you know, we uh, uh, the tra trajectory of American Christianity is not very good. <laughs> uh, uh, so we can. Uh, you know, we're doing our best to, to help uh, to uh, uh, provide pastors with some options, uh, minister, ministerial candidates with some options so that uh, they can they can continue to pursue God's call. Yeah, that's that's so encouraging. Um, yeah, John, so appreciative of what you're doing. Um, you know, it's it, it's just incredible Too another a thought I was having, too, is just you know, and then big, big, uh, you know, was it block and mortar? Is that what you guys were saying? Or brick and mortar? I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. Um, in them kind of context, you know, it can be, it can be difficult because there's a lot of students, the teachers have a lot of responsibilities over a lot of men. And sometimes you could, like, I was thinking for myself, I could maybe feel kind of like if you're struggling along and it's kind of hard to get that more personal mentorship. Yeah. Um, and I, I see that as another pro uh, for log is because you actually get more hands-on with, with someone that's mentoring you through that. You know what I mean? And yeah, you don't have absolutely, to be worried about yeah, kind of getting left behind, you know? Yeah. It's, it's quality over quantity. You know, um, the original law college had about 20 graduates, but, uh, but look at the caliber of those men, you know, Gilbert Tennant, uh, Samuel Blair, um, I mean, just about every one of them <laughs> were uh, amazing. And then the second generation uh, law college men, uh, Samuel Davies and, and uh, men like this, uh, you know, just phenomenal men that God used in such great ways. And so, um, you know, it's not about it's not about the numbers. Uh, it's, it's about the, the quality of men. And, and uh, that goes back to the quality of education and ties into what, what you're saying, you know, that one on one. Uh, time and uh, focus that our program allows, I, I think it, it makes a huge difference. Praise God. So, John, I, I have a question for you. So, the when I first applied to TNARS, um, I we were kind of in the middle of moving from Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, back up to Buffalo, New York, and I was not able to basically start my studies at that time a few years back. Uh, and I was actually just looking over the academic guide. And I think back then you had to subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Second, London's, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith in order to enroll as a student. And in the current academic guide, I believe it's more of uh, agreement with different doc just basically a, a doctrinal statement is that correct well students students have always had to um confirm a student uh confession of faith um 
and that's basically right there on the application. And and uh, we've never required students to uh, have to affirm the Westminster Confession, but uh, but the student confession, yes. And uh, it's basically just you know the essential doctrines of Christianity. Um, mentors, of course, different story. Uh, they do have to affirm uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, or in some cases, we do allow. Uh, some mentors who can um, affirm the uh, London Baptist Confession or uh, Savoy uh, Confession of Faith for the congregationalists that are still around. Uh, so, so yes, you know, we, we do have some flexibility with our with our mentors, uh, but uh, but yeah, our mentors are do go through a strenuous process uh, in terms of their application. Um, we do, uh, of course. Uh, when we look at a mentor, we look at, you know, the big picture is, is uh, you know, academic record is uh, you know, pastoral opportunities and is basically his resume, uh, pastoral experience. Uh, but very important to us is, is his confessional affirmation. And, and uh, we have had some mentors who applied who, who you know, had too many exceptions or uh, problems with the confession. And, uh, you know, we are uh, a very uh, confessional institution. Uh, you know, we uh, place our flag right there at the Westminster Confession of Faith, and that's where we stand. And um, so, you know, and, and we have to because, you know, again, uh, in our model where we're, we're mentor-based, you know, just the very institution itself is 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 mentoring and shaping uh, the student, and and so we want to uh, give them a very uh, healthy uh, dose of confessionalism and an appreciation for confessions, and to and to know why, to understand why confessions are so important, and and you know we want to foster a love for uh, confessionalism, and uh, we. Uh, that's one of the expected outcomes of, uh, that we pray for is, you know, love for the confession. Would you say that there is an attribute or quality about the people who are successful in the log versus who um, the students that don't end up finishing? Like, is there a difference between, you know, those people that is clear or is it kind of case by case typically? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of case by case. A lot of it, you know, comes down to, of course, self-motivation and self-discipline. Uh, it does take a person who is highly uh, self-disciplined to to finish the course, uh, so to speak. Um, it comes down to timing, uh, available time, and and um, you know, so there there are some some you know, uh, I think it's you know case by case for sure, but. Uh, Self-discipline and time uh, is really the two, two big ingredients in terms of being successful and having a mentor, again, who can, uh, who's really plugged in and uh, you know, lovingly prodding you along in, in, in your studies and encouraging you, uh, that's, that's uh, huge. So you know, three big ingredients there to, uh, to successful student. That's awesome. Let's see here. So what's um 
what I'm just curious for my own uh, personal benefit. Do you have a favorite course or a favorite uh, thing about the log personally? That's a hard one. Uh, you know, I, I love everything about it. Um, you know, I, I look back on my, my own uh, studies and I'm like, man, I wish it was, it was available, you know, for my undergraduate work and, and uh, all the way through. But, um, you know, I love everything about it. Um, we have some, a lot of great courses, um, really hard to, uh, you know, uh, single one out. Um, yeah, you know, I, I guess the, the, the biggest thing I love is, is just, um, returning to that, that pastoral apprenticeship model, you know, it's so huge. I mean, even with, um, with the advent of, of the of the seminary, as we, we spoke of uh, early 1800s, uh, you know, for example, let's take Princeton for example. Uh, some people are like, well, Princeton was the uh, continuation of the Law College, um, or at least you know uh, the College of New Jersey, and not necessarily so. It, it was an assimilation of it for sure, but it was not really a continuation of it. And we would go into length on, on that and on our website and in some of our uh, literature about that. But, um, but even with, with, with you know, uh, Princeton uh, coming on the scene, uh, the, the great Princeton, you know, which was a, a wonderful institution, uh, no doubt about. But even uh, within 30 years of the existence of Princeton, you had pastors who were questioning the quality of students coming out of their programs. Uh, Gardner Spring was one. Uh, I think he was writing in 1830, um, 1840s, and he was saying, look, you know, we have uh, you know, these graduates coming out of Princeton are great academics, uh, they're sharp, uh, they have no pastoral skills whatsoever. <laughs> and he said, we need to get back to the old pastoral apprenticeship model. We need to get these students with pastors uh, in the context of local church ministry, uh, so they can watch him shepherd the sheep. And he said, this, this is an element that is missing uh, in our day. I mean, and that was 1840. That was, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, after the beginning of Princeton and after the beginning of the, what we would call the uh, modern seminary uh, model. So he was already, you know, there were already red flags, uh, you know, just uh, within 20 or 30 years uh, of the operation of these institutions. And so uh, returning to that model is, uh, is huge. And uh, I think that's the one thing, if I could single out one thing, it, it would be that, is that we're trying to get back on track with that New Testament paradigm. That's great. So uh, John, I am presently enrolled in the Associates of Theology program, and I'm considering uh, transitioning over to the Bachelors of Divinity because I am a man and I am over 30, and I meet, uh, I appear to meet the criteria for that. I'm curious, would there be sure. a benefit to me um, with doing like the Associates 
of theology, the bachelors of theology, and then, you know, the bachelors of divinity or like the MDiv, or would it be more advantageous yeah. for me, you know, if I wanted to pursue the bachelor of divinity and I have a solid theological foundation to just switch from the associates of theology to the bachelors of divinity? Sure. That's a great question. And a lot of it boils down to, um, you know, do you see yourself doing any graduate work in the future? You know, uh, the, the, the Bachelor of Divinity degree is, is basically the Master of Divinity degree, but it is open uh, or open to men who have no undergraduate foundation. Um, and, and Greenville uh, Presbyterian Theological Seminary does the same thing. They have a Bachelor of Divinity degree too. And it's for this purpose of men who are called later in life uh, to gospel ministry, and um, they have no undergraduate foundation, nothing, but they want to be equipped for pastoral ministry. And so this program basically gives them everything they would get from, uh, you know, a seminary degree, the Master of Divinity uh, program. And uh, but it opens it up to them uh, without that uh, undergraduate foundation. But the cost, of course, is is that then it becomes a what we would call a terminal professional baccalaureate, and uh, it's, it just doesn't carry academic weight because it has no um, undergraduate foundation. And so, you know, your graduate studies, if you're looking to get to master's work or doctoral work, uh, it's not going to get you there uh, because it's, it just has a totally different purpose. And it's not, you know, should we say weighted academically, so to speak, uh, you know, it, it's a professional baccalaureate is terminal, uh, but it serves its, its purpose for many, for many men. Um, if you're looking to do graduate work, doctoral work, um, I would say definitely go ahead and stick with the ATS, BTS, MDiv, track. Um, but it is kind of, you know, you have to kind of think long-term and kind of, you know, um, do you see yourself uh, serving in, in the pastoral role and, uh, and, and 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 really no other academic pursuits or or do you see yourself um, you know um, moving forward from you know pastoral work or even while you're you're, you're serving as pastor um, doing some more academic study then you know you might want to stick with your current track yeah that's really helpful for me thank you uh Thank you for that. There was one other um, question I had about the log college is offering. So I don't know if this is a, if this is an affiliated thing or if it's different or if it's part of the log college and seminary, is there an evangelistic program, like a two month thing related to the log college and seminary? Um, or is that a totally separate entity that's also called the log college and seminary? Yeah. Um, there, there was, um, a program uh, that basically started uh, several years ago, probably 10 years ago, uh, that was called the Law College. And, and, and like you say, it was basically an intensive uh, evangelistic training program and, and uh, but really had nothing to do with the institution or um, our institution um, or anything like that. I, I do know what you're talking about. Uh, it was like an, an evangelist program that was tied into a local church. Um, I can't recall the name of that church. Um, I'm sure it was a great program and, and maybe it may, it may even continue to this day. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not related. Um, 
neither is the, the Law College Press, which is a wonderful, wonderful resource, um, is not related to, the, to, to our institution. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Uh, um, um, I think it's a, that's wonderful. We need, we need a lot more programs like that. Uh, uh, not only have we lost discipleship, but we've lost evangelism in, in, in the church today. And um, we, uh, we need that uh, desperately. Um, so for sure what um what would you say to a guy who wants to pursue um a program of study through the log but they don't have a ged or a high school diploma um what is the benefit to them getting the ged before you know beginning to pursue the program with the log yeah, well, our, our associate program is um, very focused. It's very, uh, uh, you know, theological. You know, your, your typical associate's degree, uh, you do have things like, you know, world history, uh, uh, different uh, math courses, things like that. Um, with our associates, it's, it's very, very much focused on theology. Um, so your GED, your high school, your diploma, is, is basically going to be the preparation uh, that you need for for that theological study. Um, you already have your history and, and math and those kind of things kind of, you know, uh, already there. Uh, so it is it is important um, because we don't we do not offer those courses in our associate program. Uh, they are important uh, educational uh, backgrounds to have and to bring into that program. So yeah, it is, it is important. For sure. How about you, Nate? Any other, any questions at this point? Yeah, well, I'll say I'm that indirect person that he mentioned. Um, I, I, so, well, I'm, I'm older now. I'm almost 29. So not super old, but um, yeah. I, so back in, back in my high school days, you know, before the Lord saved me, I was, you know, drug and alcohol, you know, it was just a big, big idol back in my life before the Lord came and rescued me. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I made the decision to leave, leave 12th grade and drop out of high school. So, you know, now going forward, I mean, I never seen the point for me personally to get it. Um, but I, I mean, I love theology. I, you know, as you can see, I love books. I love reading. I love learning been doing it ever since I became a Christian. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm the, the indirect man, but, uh, yeah. 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 We, you know, one of the things that we, we have to, of course, uh, to watch is, um, in terms of accreditation and, uh, attestation, I guess you could say, um, you know, we have to be sensitive to some of, some of the, uh, academic requirements and, um, we try to um, to make sure that uh, we're completely aligned with with uh, with the most strenuous of institutions. Uh, but we, you know, we have a heart for for men uh, in situations like yours, and we, we want to help them all that we can. Um, but we just have we kind of walk a fine line sometimes when it comes to uh, you know regulations uh, that pertain to uh, accreditation and. And, and just uh, um, 
you know, uh, credibility and those kinds of things, you know, um, uh, I think people are surprised when they, uh, you know, we're a free seminary, but then they look at our requirements and, and our academic guide and they, and they see, wow, you know, uh, this seminary operates just like, you know, uh, you know, any other uh, institution. I mean, there, there's uh, entrance, you know, uh, requirements and, and those kinds of things. And, and um, you know, and it's something we have to do to maintain our, our credibility and, and, you know, because it's so easy just to take pot shots at institutions like ours, where it's like, oh, well, they're free, you know, they're a diploma mill. Um, I challenge anyone to look at our program and, and come away saying that we're a diploma mill, uh, you know, because we probably, uh, our, our requirements uh, really far exceed uh, even the most strenuous of seminaries. And, uh, you know, just our MDiv program alone, uh, 116 credit hours, um, that rivals anybody out there. Uh, you know, we're right there with, with Greenville Seminary, which I, I greatly respect and love. Um, you know, and, and that's not to boast or anything like that, but it just shows you that, you know, we take this very seriously. And just because we're free doesn't mean it's going to uh, be any different in terms of the level of academics that we're going to expect from our students. Um, and that's one way we, we uh, help to maintain the credibility, uh, you know, in, in um, the theological academic world is, is to have those requirements and, and to hold to them and, and to expect them from our students. And, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, most people are blown away when they see that and, and, and just consider what we really do expect and require. I think that it is really an attestation to the fact that like there's such a high calling for, for an elder, for a pastor. And, you know, you need to be a man who's been proven and, you know, there's nothing special about me, but like, realistically, I have four young kids, you know, we're considering having, we're trying to have more, uh, you know, I work a, a job, you know, for more than 40 hours a week. And if I am going to, you know, get an associate's, a bachelor's, a master's, you know, and if I, if I do pursue pastoral ministry, you know, I would hope that whatever, you know, church I would candidate with or what have you, you know, would see the fact that I have juggled all these things over a number of years alongside faithfully being a husband, father, church member, you know, serving in all these capacities and, and, and I imagine that the quality, and again, I'm not trying to knock on any other seminary. I'm not trying to knock on any individual, but the fact of the matter is if you're juggling all these responsibilities, all these things, and you can come out of the other side of that, you know, you're not doing it because you're chasing a career. You're not doing it because you're chasing really anything other than being faithful to God, in my opinion, because if God's not your motivation for this, then you're, you're just not going to make it through because you're, right. you're going to have other things come up in your life. You're going to have hard times. You're going to have all these things that will lead you to a point where you're like, well, I have to sacrifice somewhere. Maybe it's the thing I'm not paying any money for. That's not essential to my life at this time. Um, so yeah. I, if, you know, when I look at guys who have graduated from, from the log and, and they have juggled so many different things in life 
to get their program to serve God in whatever capacity he's called them to, you know, again, it's not to say anything negative about somebody who came out on the other side of a seminary, a different seminary, but, you know, I just, I personally can appreciate the level of difficulty something like that would take. And I'm still just in my first degree program. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, something that I thought about while you you were uh, sharing that is, um, you know, when you look at the typical seminary program and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of crammed into three years. Uh, most, most seminary uh, graduates uh, are going to go over three years, uh, three and a half, four years. Um, and, um, and, they're, and they're still cramming. And um, sometimes I wonder, you know, like you said, what, what has to be sacrificed in order to do that? And uh, sometimes it's the education itself. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're taking in a lot of information. It's like a fire hose and uh, they're not able to really uh, sit back and meditate and think through and, and in their mind, get a good grasp of the, of the content or, or even be able to you know, form or develop the right questions to ask, uh, you know, to, to help cement all of that together. And uh, with, our, with, our, with our model, and the flexibility that allows it, it really does uh, give the student the opportunity just to slow down, think, meditate. Um, you know, he doesn't have to cram the information, but he can really focus on it and and and, and really uh, get a firm grasp of that content. And uh, you know, we want students to to not only know the theology, but but to know the why behind it and to be able to uh, not only uh, articulate it well, but, but to uh, defend it and, and know why they believe what they believe. And, and uh, cause that's where you get true commitment is when you know why you believe what you believe. There's, there's the commitment that's, you know, uh, where you're gonna find steadfast men who will, will hold fast to the faith. Amen. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely, uh, definitely appreciate that. Uh, John, do you have any, um, you know, uh, success stories that come to mind or, you know, just um, accounts of guys who have uh, done the program at the Log College and just have had a fruitful ministry for for the Lord uh, that you could share with us? Sure. Uh, yeah, two, two guys come to mind right off the bat. Um, one man is a pastor in Africa and uh, completed the Master of Divinity program uh, under TNARS um, several years ago. Um, the man had no uh, regular access to, to a laptop or computer, so uh, he worked out a, really, uh, a deal with his mentor and uh, basically did all of his work handwritten notes, you know, on paper and, uh, you know, and we've been able to, to see all these uh, notebooks and pages filled with, with the work uh, that we require. And it's so humbling, you know, because, you know, we throw, throw around our, uh, you know, iPads and, and laptops and everything. And, you know, we're, we're 
you know, typing away and we're able to hit save and boom, it's all there. This guy had a pen and some notebooks and completed the curriculum. And uh, it's incredible. Loves the Reformed faith. Um, just uh, very humbling. Um, so grateful to be able to be able to make an investment in that man's life. Um, I feel like he also made an investment in ours too. Uh, and uh, another man, uh, this man came to us uh, to study uh, our uh, THD in Puritan Studies program. He was a Church of Christ pastor. And uh, it was like, you know, I've always wanted to study the, you know, the Puritans, Puritan history and theology. And, uh, you know, uh, again, he was a Church of Christ pastor. And within one year of studying uh, the curriculum, uh, had converted to the Reformed faith. And uh, man, I tell you, he's just uh, uh, passionate for uh, the Reformed faith. And, and uh, you know, he, he's so outspoken uh, in, a, in a loving way. I mean, that, you know, not to say he's, you know, cage Calvinist or anything like that, that we hear so much about, you know, not at all. Uh, very actually very humble man but uh, you know just within just by reading the Puritan literature uh, came to see the truth of the Reformed faith and and um, to examine the scripture and, and say you know what what really what what does the scripture really teach and and even to uh, you know challenge his own theology at that point I mean that's that's just huge and uh, I'm so grateful to to be a part of that man's life as well. That's awesome. That's so encouraging. I love hearing stories about things like that, about how God worked. You know, I, I can't imagine, you know, like you said, um, just sitting there taking all those notes. Like I take a lot of notes and um, you know, I takes a little while to do on a computer. I can only imagine doing everything handwritten and then, uh, send it over to America, but, um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, um, so in the first class, the, uh, there's a teacher who I have just benefited so much from just, I don't think he's a pop. I don't think he's a famous preacher or anything. I'd never heard of him before. His name is Scott K. He yeah. does the, he does the, how to get the most from you reading your Bible as yes. well as the, how to study the Bible. And, uh, I remember and my wife's sitting right here, and so I need to actually do it with her now that I'm recalling, but uh, I went through the lectures that he did and I was just like, this is the best teaching I've ever heard on like how to study the Bible. And just, he, he is such a good teacher. Uh, we're going to yes. have him on in October. I think uh, I reached out to him. Yeah. We're going to have him on thankfully. And um, I just think it's so cool that, you know, you get some guys on here, like, uh, I think it was the basics of the Christian life Bible study by Jerry Bridges. That lecture in particular was just like a, I'll use an apropos illustration. It, it was just a gold mine of content. Uh, he talks about Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs two and about how we're called to mine the scriptures. Um, you know, and it's just some of the most um, convicting and soul refreshing content I've ever had. And I've had a year um, of undergrad studies at a brick and mortar uh, Bible college. And I've 
done some um, classes here and there at, uh, I did some voice online. I've done Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. I think Sam Waldron's school has changed names since yeah. then, but, um, but, you know, I mean, I, I benefited from all those places, but, but again, just the, it was at this point when I was going through these courses in particular that the scriptures just started to become more vibrant. And I just realized that my own personal piety was, was so um, lacking, I, I suppose. Mm. And I, and yeah. I was just neglecting so much in my own personal walk. Um, I, yeah. I, I actually had like a cage stage about it. Like where I was just, <laughs> why am I so passive? Why am I so complacent? Like, and I, I just started to look around. I'm like, is everybody like me? Like, you yeah, know, and it, yeah. like, it took me like a month to realize, like, I need to calm down a little bit because I got so excited. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, if anybody is just listening to this and you want to listen to some courses, you can get all this through um, the Log College's website. You can just go to the course catalog, click on yeah. the Associates of Theology, and then you can click on the hyperlink to get to the to the content we're talking about. And again, Scott K is just some of the some yeah. of the best teaching. Yeah, I've let, ever let me share a quick story about that. Uh, one of the students that I personally mentor uh, was so blown away by that series that. Uh, he basically tracked Scott K down and went and visited him. Uh, and they did live, of course, in the same states so that helped out in terms of logistics. But he actually uh, tracked him down and went and visited him and, and uh, personally shared, you know, uh, how grateful he was for, for the, those lectures. And, um, and, uh, and, and this young man is, is, is a true blessing. I, in fact, just a couple of... Uh, Weeks ago, you know, we had about a, a two-hour conversation about election over the phone uh, because even though he was uh, very much uh, involved with his church and serving with the youth ministry and really was plugged in and, and uh, was, you know, a uh, student of the word, everything, this was the first time he ever really had to look at Romans 9 and say, what is this really saying? Because I know what I think it's saying or and I know what I've been told that I'm supposed to think it's saying but what is it really saying and uh, came face to face with with the doctrine of the election and uh, all five points in fact uh, of Calvinism and uh, it was just a beautiful thing to see uh, that young man put all the pieces of the puzzle together for the first time and uh, and and really see wow you know there's a system here in scripture and it makes sense. And, uh, uh, man, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And again, you know, um, there's your one-on-one, -on -one, you know, uh, 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 model right there, you know, me being able just to talk with them and, and go through scriptures with them and, you know, hour turns into two hours. I mean, turns into another phone call the next night, that kind of thing. But, uh, just a, this is a, really a wonderful uh, model um there's a reason we see that model in the new testament uh, yeah that's awesome i uh you know it's funny that you you phrased it the way you did i actually had to track scott k down as well because he was at a church in georgia but he had left like sometime last year so i had i listened to like i figured out on youtube when he had left because he was no longer in like the main picture on the 
on the uh, sermon video. Right. So I started listening to like the last couple sermons and I, and they finally said the name of the church he went to. Cause if you just Google his name, it, he doesn't show up easily. So I listened to like a couple hours of sermons, I think, or fast forwarded through them or whatever to finally find it to actually track him down. And I, I've, I don't track people down. I don't have time to do that. But like, he, <laughs> like, like you said, the lectures were just so good and so thoroughly biblical. I mean, he doesn't make a statement that isn't qualified by scripture. I feel like it's just so yeah. <laughs> wonderful to see it, to see teaching that's so steeped in revelation. Um, and so, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, very thankful for that, but was uh, were, were there any other courses that he or any other specific teachings or classes within the program that he found particularly um, edifying or like similar to Scott Kay's? Well, he is uh, he's, he is in the uh, ATS program. He is currently in Introduction to Theology. So uh, okay. again, he, he's uh, you know chipping away at uh, at the lectures and. Uh, Again, you know, I think that the, the first grouping of lectures is um, Essentials of the Christian Faith. And so you've got R.C. Sproul and you've got MacArthur uh, there and they're talking about, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, the lectures is on election. And, um, and so he was, again, you know, um, just working through the curriculum, had to uh, kind of face something uh, that uh, he's never had to really face before. And I think just kind of in the back of his mind, uh, you know, basically said, okay, well, you know, election is this based on what I've heard everybody you know, tell me it is. Uh, but to actually have to go into Romans 9 uh, and Ephesians 1 and Acts 13, 48, and all of the, the other passages that, that speak to that doctrine and really have to um, square with the question of what, does the scripture really teach on this on this subject uh you know was was huge and um so he's prodding right along in that and uh you know has uh which you know which was interesting because he was like you know i'm not quite sure what you know my, my family's gonna think or my church is gonna think and and you know he's he's kind of dealing with some of those things but he can no longer deny it. and, and uh um and I think we've all kind of, uh, you know, or many of us uh, who were raised outside of a reform context, we've all had that moment where we had to say, oh, wow, you know, this is what the scripture teaches. And, and uh, you know, I, I've, got to, I've got to follow uh, the truth wherever it leads me. And uh, so, but uh, just, you know, working with him, walking him through uh, these stages uh, of his Christian uh, life, uh, it's just a, a huge blessing to me a tremendous joy so i would really love to get his information uh from you and i'd love to have him on and talk to him as another uh student who's doing the associates of theology theological studies i'd love to talk to him and yeah uh, just have a conversation on the podcast about that and uh you know about his experience and mine so you know after we finish up if he if you think he'd be interested um you know i'd love to hook up with them and have a conversation sure. about that how about you, Nate? Absolutely. What do you you have uh, any other questions at this point here in the conversation? Uh, I mean, I was just pondering my own cage stage back back years ago, and 
uh, for me, it was John chapter six. Um, that was the mm. one I just couldn't escape Jesus's own words regarding the teaching of election and preservation of the saints. Mm. Um, I just, I remember I, I was our Arminian at the time, a Wesleyan kind of Arminian assemblies of God kind of guy. And, uh, I remember, uh, you know, there's these guys that came, um, to this place I was at and we called them the Pittsburgh Calvinists because they're from Pittsburgh. And, uh, that this one guy just kept reading John six with me. He's like, well, what's, what's the text say? And I was like, what? I mean, it's still conditional. And he's like, what's the text say? And he just kept, you know, pushing me back to the text. And eventually it hit me. I was like, Oh man, I can't really wiggle out of this one, you know? Yeah. And, and it was a moment of, uh, realizing that, um, for me, it was just, oh, wow, God really is sovereign over salvation. And, and that point on, it was just like a whole new, you know, scriptures just brand new to me in a way of, of seeing God's sovereignty, his, uh, his, his grace and his love and, and just seeing how every, you know, the whole doctrines of grace played out. It was just like an eye-opening experience for me, mm. you know, and, and, you know, through all that, it led me to confessional Presbyterianism now, you know, I, I love covenant theology and now seeing the, the big scope of, of God's covenant dealings with his people. And, and, and I kind of going through that phase now of, of, uh, you know, reform covenant theology and, and going sure. through that, going through that cage stage right now. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and thinking back to just talking about that one particular student, um, you know, I think it was very important for the Bible study skills course to precede the intro to theology course, because when he came to these passages like Romans 9, uh, Ephesians 1, uh, John 6, Acts 13, 48, and, and so on, uh, he had the interpretive skills and abilities to be able to look at those passages, and he couldn't just do some hermeneutical gymnastics to get out of them. He was forced by you know, good interpretive uh, skills and, and methods to take a real, real good look at these passages. And, uh, and remember, context is king and be able to uh, apply all, the, all these interpretive principles and bring them to bear on these passages. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that's one of the, the, the big reasons why he was able to... Uh, Look at those passages and 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 fairly say, you know, what does the scripture really teach, and and, and able to uh, to really uh, dig into the scripture uh, and do exegesis <laughs> and, and uh, come away reformed. Because I mean, you know, it's hard to do that. Uh, go to Romans nine and bring good interpretive skills there, and not come out uh, reformed. So. I uh, almost got kicked out of my Bible college for reading Romans nine in our dorm and um, becoming a Calvinist. Um, so that was my cage stage. I, I went to an, I, I won't say the name, but uh, I went to an independent fundamental Baptist Bible college. Um, before I had known any formal theology, I just read my Bible. The Lord saved me when I was 18. And um, I just uh, read the Bible and I loved it. And I didn't know what Calvinism was. I, I didn't understand much. My church back home was much more of a MacArthur style uh, IFB 
situation. And then I, I went to my college and uh, it was, it was one of the smaller colleges. Um, it's well, it's crown college of the Bible It's in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's still around, but um, you know, we, we, I didn't really fit in. I met some other, another guy who like was from Liberty university at this IFB school. And we just didn't fit in with everybody else. Cause it wasn't our pedigree. And um, I remember we became friends with the Calvinists. My buddy was tapping his feet to some hymns the one day in chapel. And I had written down a question, my planner, like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? You know, why are there these traditions that I don't see in scripture? And this guy comes up, uh, in the into uh the lunch into the dinner line that evening and he says hey we're like hey he's like i'm the guy that wrote the answer to your questions in your planner and i was like i don't know what you're talking about guy <laughs> like i haven't looked at my planner he's like you're not from around here are you you were tapping your foot we're just like is this an agent of satan no it was just a calvinist. <laughs> um <laughs> interestingly enough calvinism was listed as a separate religion on some of the missions conference uh, banners and stuff. So it was, I heard all sorts of strange things there. I heard that uh, Satan started the heresy of Calvinism in the garden of Eden uh, and things like that. So it was, it was pretty wild, but um, we, we had actually almost got kicked out because we, we were becoming Calvinists just from seeing it. And um, you know, the school was very opposed to that. So, uh, I can really appreciate some of the things you're talking about, about being able to defend what you believe, because, you know, sometimes you thrive in adversity in those situations where you you find yourself like looking at the scriptures and, and not being in agreement with some of the conclusions other people are coming to. And the Lord really used that time to work into me an understanding of like a healthy fear of a healthy understanding of what the fear of man is. And what assurance of salvation is because I, I used to look at these guys and be like how can these pastors and these teachers be christians and believe these things and i'm just this random kid you know this random like 19 20 year old who became a christian two years ago and i'm coming to all these different conclusions and i didn't know about calvin i didn't know about spurgeon really i didn't know about luther so i didn't really have that foundation to stand on and um i'm just so thankful for things like the log that exist where there is the solid reformed tradition and education available again within the context of the local church. And, you know, we, um, we have some family that works for Southern and in these things. And so it's been interesting to talk about with some of them because it's like, there are benefits to it. I'm not trying to say bad things, but, you know, I don't see the, the wisdom in going to a seminary where you're going to incur, anywhere between like 40 to a hundred thousand dollars of debt to go into a vacation, if you can call it that, but to go into ministry sure. where you're not going to be earning substantial money. Typically. I mean, right. It just doesn't I mean, make I, sense. I know guys that, you know, graduated from RTS and 10 years later are still paying uh, student loans. And uh, you know, that's, that's truly a shame, you know, to, to, uh, be in a situation and, and, um, and, um, again, I'm, I'm not critiquing, uh, RTS or, or anyone like that, but, uh, it's just very difficult, uh, to not only get your undergraduate, but then to, to go to a graduate program, a seminary 
and, and, and have debt upon debt. And then, as you say, go into a profession, uh, if we can call it that, um, that uh, usually is going to uh, not uh, be the you know, easiest financially. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that you know, we, we can provide an alternative to that. Um, something I was thinking about, you were, you were talking about some of the other seminaries and, you know, maybe another advantage to, to having a program like ours is um, we don't seem to be so susceptible to the, the uh, theological uh, uh, winds uh, or, or should call them theological winds, but cultural winds, I guess we, we should say. And, you know, things like, you know, uh, critical race theory and, and uh, all of these things are buzzing around in, in the seminaries today. Um, you know, we don't have any of that. Uh, and maybe, you know, our model helps to uh, shield us from, from some of those things. Um, I know our commitment to the confession does, but, um, but yeah, you know, you, you look at some of the seminaries and, and you wonder how how did these things creep in there? You know how did how did critical race theory get into uh, you know some of our our very strong conservative seminaries? Um, and you know just think about the recent uh, PCA General Assembly. Uh, you know how did things like Revoice creep in to our denomination? And uh, you know I think uh, you know seminaries uh, certainly form you know, the intellectual um, culture of, of our ministers. And so, um, you know, sometimes yeah, we have to look back to them and say, well, what was going on there? And then we have to ask, you know, the great question, how in the world does this even get in there? Um, I don't know, but uh, I feel that our particular model and our commitment to uh, the confession uh, certainly shields us from from a lot of the um, uh, cultural headwinds, if you will, that, that seem to be uh, making huge uh, impacts in, in other in other institutions. Yeah, that's a blessing to hear you say that. I mean, I know that the log is different than other institutions just by virtue of how it's set up, but yeah, critical race theory is crazy. It's just, how could you, I was part of a Facebook group full of, um, you know, good people, well-meaning people, but, uh, you know, there was a, there was a guy who posted that his church, they weren't reading, like their, their congregants have a book club and he was saying how he was so encouraged that like, of like the 15 books on that book club's list, not one was written by a white man. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, like who? why does why does that matter and you know i because i i just i'm not that involved i don't really watch the news a ton i don't really get involved with politics a ton at least not at the time and um i knew about critical race theory but it was so the borders were so like fuzzy and ill-defined that i nobody could like define it easily for me i was just like whatever and uh, then I realized this is what critical race theory was when, when you start saying that truth isn't truth on the merits of, of its truthfulness, but it, 
it matters the person's experience and who they are and where they came from. And that define that's part of defining what truth is. And it's like, well, that's not how I see truth. I, I see truth as being objective and unchangeable. And sure. whoever's getting me closest to that objective, unchangeable truth through their writing, you know, that's who I want to read. And I got into an, a discussion about it in this forum, you know, and again, of uh, good Christian people. And it was just so, um, so discouraging to see the way that critical race theory has been accepted and the perception on truth on, uh, on what truth is, has changed even in the church. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're, we're very big on worldview. We have, uh, of course, several courses um, that focus on worldview studies, uh, philosophy, um, apologetics, obviously. Um, but we also offer uh, each year a lecture, a worldview lecture. It's called the Sons of Issachar Lectures, and we bring in a guest speaker, and uh, he addresses a particular topic. Um, and, of course, uh, you can go online and hear those for free. Uh, and hear each uh, lecture. I believe we started in 2019, but uh, 2019, but, um, but anyway, yeah, you know, um, developing a Christian worldwide view is absolutely essential uh, or an essential part of Christian discipleship. I think that is probably going back to the question, well, how do these things creep in? Uh, I think that is part of the issue is, you know, we have not discipled our people to think like Christians. Uh, we have not uh, focused on worldview studies as much as we should. And so, um, you know, it's very easy to discern the issues with critical race theory uh, when you have a strong Christian world life view. Uh, very easy to look at the issue of abortion. Very easy to look at the issue of uh, homosexuality and uh, all, the, all the hot button issues of our day. But if you lack that, then... You can see how uh, people could uh, be swept away and uh, led astray uh, by a lot of the, the strong voices out there. Um, and so I think it's critical that we, we bring back worldview studies uh, in, in, into our discipleship mix. Uh, you'll certainly see it in our curriculum. Um, so important. That's great. I know that Nate probably has a few things to add at this point. Um, why don't you give your thoughts on some of that, Nate? Excellent stuff. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm a big Vantillian, uh, so I'm a big presuppositional apologetics guy, so I'm all about Christian worldview. Uh, some of my favorite guys, James Ann Anderson, Frame, uh, Scott Oliphant, some of my, uh, we actually have Scott Oliphant coming on Tuesday. Uh, to talk about some covenantal apologetics and some Van Til. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, we're, uh, I guess going back to the question about, you know, what makes us unique is uh, actually, uh, which we, we do appreciate uh, good presuppositionalism. And, uh, uh, you know, we uh, think the uh, transcendent, transcendental argument it has, it certainly has its place. But uh, one of the things you'll notice in, in our apologetics program is, is we're returning to the old, uh, Scottish common sense realism uh, methodology, which was uh, basically what the Puritans uh, uh, followed, is what uh, early Princeton uh, followed, all those guys, Alexander, uh, Hodge, B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield. Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically uh, 
you know, uh, Scottish common sense realism and classical apologetics are kissing cousins. Uh, hard to discern. It gets into uh, epistemology and, and 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 where we start, so to speak, in epistemology is what kind of sets the two apart. But we're basically, you know, hand in hand, same thing. Um, so you'll see a lot of uh, you know RC Sproul in in our curriculum. Um, and uh, but yeah, you know, uh, we uh, we push apologetics strongly. Um, it's very important. Uh, we do not. Uh, you know, uh, we think that, you know, for example, presuppositionalism, uh, we certainly think that it has its place uh, and, and the transcendental argument certainly has its place um, and uh, very much appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we're one of the few schools that really uh, teach and push, you know, classical apologetics. Uh, and uh, so it, it's, it's interesting uh, to, uh, be where we are in, in, in that sense. Uh, but uh, a lot of good men, and there's, you know, there's a lot of dialogue to be, to be, to be made here. One of my professors, uh, Dr. Wayne Kenyon, who was passing the glory at Bellhaven, uh, was actually, you know, one of the big uh, classical apologists of, of our time. Uh, I mean, uh, studied under John Gerstner, uh, you know, the, the saying was, was, you know, uh, R.C. Sproul was Gerson's right-hand man and Wynn Kenyon was his left. And, uh, and uh, but Dr. Kenyon and I had a lot of discussions about, you know, uh, he, he was actually, in, he, when he passed, was in, in, involved in writing a, a book on um, uh, classic apologetics and presuppositionalism and, and just the dialogue of the, of the two schools and, and maybe where we're talking past one another and certain things like that. And, so uh, I think there's a lot of uh, good things that we can uh, share and, and uh, you know, work together on. And, and uh, you know, that's an area that uh, has not been uh, addressed uh, as it should. And, you know, I'd like to see a lot more doctoral work in the area of apologetics uh, and from, from our own uh, doctoral students. Uh, that would be great uh, to explore some of, some of these uh, the categories in, in apologetics. Yeah. Well, hey, I still love you, John. We're good. <laughs> we're, all, and we're, we're broadly on the same team. So, you know. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't not like a lot. I mean, I love my classical brothers, man. I mean, I, there's nothing but good to say about all those guys. I love Sproul. He was he was kind of my 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 papa into into reform theology and I, mean, I love all those guys, you know, um, and very appreciative of all those guys, Gerstner. And I would say agree way more than I'd ever disagree. So absolutely. You know, and, and I think we just need to have uh, uh, more dialogue and, 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 you know, we need to. Um, uh, and I think this is why, you know, what Dr. Kenyon was working on would have, would have been so wonderful for for the, you know, for the church is. You know, we, we spend so much time attacking one another's uh, uh, model and, uh, you know, we, we seem to be um, just kind of missing the whole point of, of apologetics, but, but um, we need to have some healthier dialogues and, and, uh, and, and you know, um, we already know we, we, we have different uh, epistemological starting points, so um, right. we know that and, and I mean, we could talk more about that and explore that, but um, but yeah, I, I think 
there's a lot of misunderstanding too uh, in terms of the two camps and uh, we we uh, shoot past one another and and uh, you know we we really need to uh, come together as you say and and, and really um, share um, the, the really strong points of our systems and and you know um, hey I'm all about pulling out transcendent transcendental argument if I need to, uh, if I'm talking with someone, uh, because, uh, I mean, it works and it works within uh, the classical system as well. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, uh, feelings mutual. Appreciate your, your love for, for the good man. You know, I, uh, let me, let me throw in a good name here. Uh, Gordon Clark, you might like to read some of his, his stuff. I know he and Van Til weren't always uh, seeing eye to eye, but Clark is a, uh, is man, he is uh, uh, in terms of presuppositionalism uh, is is a is a treasure. So don't don't neglect him. Yeah, I don't Van Til's team on that one, but I, I do appreciate Clark <laughs> as well. Uh, you know, I kind of consider myself as uh, the the lost child at Westminster Philly. So <laughs> good deal. That's awesome. Um, I love that R.C. Sproul, what he talked about presuppositionalism, kind of like you're saying, he didn't view it as adversarial. He uh, he actually, I think, praised a lot of the presup guys because they, I think what he said about them was that they could pinpoint the flaws in the arguments of other people better than like the people in classical could. And, uh, you know, kind of like you're saying, instead of like trying to, argue about whose system is better, you know, hopefully we're uh, taking the best of both sides and, you know, improving, you know, both yeah. of those apologetic methodologies um, with each other, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of a thing. Yeah. I think too, you know, when it comes to, you know, um, apologetics and, you know, presuppositionalism certainly uh, incredibly useful in terms of uh, modern philosophy and what we've seen there. Um, but now that we've moved into postmodern, uh, it gets a little trickier, uh, and, uh, and, and almost like, uh, almost back to the days of Hume, uh, I see, uh, the need for, uh, Scottish common sense realism to bring us back to our, to our common senses and, 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 and see through, uh, a lot of this, uh, postmodern, uh, gibberish that, that we're forced to hear all the time, but, um, but yeah, uh, great men held different positions. Um, love them all, and uh, learn can learn from them all. So uh, we try to uh, foster respect for for uh, those in reform camp who, who differ from us. And um, you know, we don't. Uh, you know, one of the things about reform theology is that it tends to, and I, I don't know why, but you know, we we get so excited about the truth of Scripture. And, and uh, we have a great skill for it. Uh, we're not always uh, disciple well in terms of expressing that and, uh, and, and, and fostering a love for uh, fellow Christians who, who disagree with us. And going back to R.C. Sproul, I think he was a, a great model of that, you know, who, you know, could respect men who held differently. Uh, and, and even in, just in terms of speaking of, like, to say Arminians, you know, he was like, you know, these guys are Christians, you know, uh, 
they may not uh, be as accurate in some areas uh, theologically, but uh, but uh, but these guys are Christians, and uh, you know, and and had a love for them and respect for them, even though we differed theologically. So uh, that's one thing you know we hope to do at, at the law colleges is is to help our students um, know the why behind what they believe and. And, you know, that, that takes away the threat, you know, uh, you know, they don't have to, um, you know, uh, turn to, uh, you know, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, raise their voice or whatever, you know, they don't have to turn to those kinds of, uh, uh, you know, methods of, of arguing the truth. Um, you know, we have different, we have a different goal and, and, uh, Hopefully we can we can foster that kind of climate uh, with with our students. Well, it'd be great to have you back on another time, John, to talk about worldview and apologetics. Honestly, Nate, it might be cool if we could get um, a couple people on a conversation about that, just to talk through uh, different perspectives on that, and just have a have an edifying conversation that's uh, much needed. So, yeah, I think absolutely. That'd be- yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing. I, you know, we had John Frame on our show um, not too long ago, and um, man, his heart for being as ecumenical as we can be, um, you know, that seems to to be a danger a lot of the time, or a weakness sometimes in the Reformed community is, is sometimes we forget we're all on the same team, you know, <laughs> and you, yeah. you know, as as Frame called them, the Machin Machin's warrior children, you know, it's everybody's trying to separate everybody, and everyone's in small little camps, separatist camps, and I think we have to get back to the big picture, like you're saying, John, is is recognizing we're all really on the same team, and we're uh, though we may differ on some of these, I would say probably mainly minor things. It's just how we would nuance and define our terms and. They're important. Be passionate about them. Are you them? But remember, it's your brother in Christ, sister in Christ, whatever the case, we need to respect each other. And as first Peter three tells us, you know, and with gentleness and respect, and we need to honor each other, you know, it's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So John, I think that uh, our time is just about coming to a close here, but before we do end out, we do like to give our guests an opportunity to, to say a final word, it, really whatever you want, an exhortation, or it could be like an elevator pitch for like the, the law college and, you know, who, who that might be a good fit for at this point in our, in our world. I think actually enrollments uh, pending right now until the, the website's being updated, but um, you know, whatever you, uh, whatever you'd like to end on, we'd love to hear that. So. Sure. Well, uh, I'd like to invite everyone hearing uh, the podcast to check out our website, lawcollege.net. Check out our programs. The great thing about it is you don't have to be enrolled to uh, take part in these studies. You can, with basically, I think it's three clicks, maybe four clicks. You can be in a class listening to lectures. Uh, All the textbooks are there click on the, the link and download the textbook, it's yours. Um, you don't have to be enrolled, obviously you have to be enrolled to, uh, to, have, uh, to gain credit and uh, be under the uh, uh, mentorship of, of an approved mentor. But, um, but yeah, you can take advantage of our, of our curriculum right now. 
uh, and uh, begin to um, grow in knowledge and grace of the Lord as, as you study. So I'd like to encourage everyone to do that. Um, check out uh, all of our website. We do have uh, Theolog, which is our annual uh, theological journal, and it is free. Uh, you can download the PDF. Um, uh, just uh, came out with our with our inaugural issue. Uh, I, I wrote a history of uh, the Law College, uh, and you can read about that and uh, makes the connections between um, the original Law College and, and how we are the 21st century continuation of that. And um, uh, we'll be uh, our second issue will be coming out uh, toward the end of the year. So. Uh, Take a look at that. Take a look at our uh, Sons of Issachar lectures uh, in, in our, uh, our worldview lectures. Uh, a lot of good stuff. Um, obviously, relevant uh, uh, issues that we need to learn to think like a Christian uh, as we approach these issues. And uh, you'll find a lot of helpful uh, uh, lectures there. And we'd love to hear from you if anyone has any questions about our seminary or uh, or anything. Um, please contact us. Uh, there's a link there on the on, on the front page of the website where you can contact us. Love to hear from you, um, and love to know how we can be of service. Awesome. Again, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast here with us. Uh, we really enjoyed it, and to all of our listeners, thank you. We love you, and we will look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>